You are listening to the Tom Elif Podcast. Tom Elif pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Elif. When we read the scripture here at First, uh, First Southern, we uh, stand in honor of our Lord. This is His Word. And uh, we believe the Lord's going to speak to us in these next few moments in power by His Spirit through His Word. Topic of the message this morning, how to do your best all the time. How to do your best all the time. I'll tell you what would revolutionize our nation. I was reflecting on this this morning. It would revolutionize our nation if all those who believe in Christ truly and have been born to His family would make a solemn resolution to do their best all the time. I think prayer is important. You know that. And we pray. And I think repenting of our sin as a nation before God as we pray is important. Seeking the hand of God, the face of God for our nation. But I'll tell you, our nation is looking for men and women who typify or exemplify what it means to know Christ. And so this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject, how to do your best all the time. Now, let me just uh, mention this before we read the Scripture. The passage of Scripture which I'm going to read is going to be the text for one message, but this one message will have three parts. The first part of the message will be this morning. The second part, of course, next Sunday morning, the third next Sunday evening. And so look with me, if you will, please. Verse 17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Now, that's the exhortation. Then you see some examples. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And here's the second part of that exhortation. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Well, we have an exhortation. We have those examples. But look at the believer's expectation in verses 24 and 25. Knowing that of the Lord we shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong which he has done, and there is no respect of persons. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. He has, of course, spoken about wives and husbands, children and fathers, servants in verse 22, and then verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, masters. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. How to do your best all the time. Father, I pray trusting, believing this morning that you brought us here and believing that you've not brought us here for an empty or meaningless experience, but you brought us here so that our lives might first of all be offered to you in an act of worship. Secondly, that our lives might be changed by you through the power of your Holy Spirit and through your word. You have said in your word that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word you speak. And so we're trusting you, Heavenly Father, to minister to our lives in power by your Spirit in these moments that we spend together. Uh, Father, we rejoice that you have given us this privilege. We want to use it, every moment of it, 
as an, as an opportunity to see you at work within us. And Father, we do worship you. We praise you this morning. We want to tell you that we're grateful because you have sent your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And we're grateful that by trusting in him, we can come to have the wonderful gift of eternal life. And so, Father, as we bow before you, once again, we eagerly seek from your hand what you have for us today and from your heart what you will speak to our hearts today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, if you will, please. Keep your Bible open to Colossians chapter 3 because in these next few moments, we're going to be thinking together about how to do your best all the time. Back in the uh, middle spring, my son and I were on our way uh, back home from Africa. We had spent one week uh, there in a crusade in a city in Bulawayo, or rather the city of Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, and then the next week we were off on a safari, and uh, we, were, we were weary. And uh, on the plane, John dozed off, and uh, I sort of tried to go to sleep, and they had, the, of course, the, the uh, shutters pulled on the windows, and it was dark inside the cabin, and, and uh, I just couldn't sleep. And so I flicked on the little overhead light and got out my Bible and began to pray and to read the Scripture. And the Lord began to speak to my heart. He began to speak to my heart about my life and about the ministry and about the future of my life and, and what he had in store for me. And uh, it was almost as if I was the only person on that airplane and was just locked into a prayer closet. And um, I'll tell you, it was, a, it was a wonderful time of the Lord's ministering to my own heart. What brought this on was the fact that a few months Earlier, I had celebrated my 50th uh, birthday. I started to say 50th anniversary. Lord willing, I'll celebrate that one of these days, but uh, my 50th birthday. You know, uh, those people who talk about there being no such thing as midlife crisis just haven't gotten to midlife yet. And um, I would, you know, it was not a traumatic experience for me any more than my 30th or my 40th. But I just, uh, I thought, you know, Lord, you know, life passes. And you have said in your word it's important for us to redeem the time because the days are evil. And, and, and I'm praying that somehow, someway, you will show me what I need to be doing in order to redeem the time, to make the most of this wonderful gift of life which you have given me. I'm so grateful for it. And um, I remember writing over in the back of the Bible, my study Bible, which I used morning by morning. Um, I wrote over in the back of it, Lord, I, I want to use, I want to, to, to be the kind of man in these next 50 years, and I believe I'm going to live to be 100. Now, don't worry. You probably, I'll probably resign as pastor when I'm about 92, so uh, don't worry about that. But at any rate, uh, I said, Lord, I want the balance of my life to be lived all out for you. It's not only how you start, it's how you finish. And I would pray that my son would be able to see in me the kind of testimony that my dad lived his life to the fullest, used every opportunity that came his way to see God glorified. After a while, John woke up and I said, John, I want to show you something. I wrote my Bible. I said, I, you know, this is not, a, this is not um, a prophecy so much as it is a promise that as your father I am making to you, by the grace of God, as a minister of God and as your father and as a man and as a husband, I want to use 
all of the opportunities God gives me. I want to live life to its fullest. I, I, want, to, I want to go out serving God, and I make that promise to you. And by the way, I make that promise and that pledge to you as a church family and to my wife and to my other family members to be a man of God and to, to use the opportunities God brings to their very fullest. You know why? Because the saddest people in all of life, I believe, are those people who end each day and each week and each month and ultimately come to the end of their lives saying, I could have done better. There were opportunities I could have used. There were services I could have performed or rendered. There were ministries I could have been involved in that would have impacted the lives of no telling how many people, but I just didn't do it. I've talked with men like that, and they're the saddest men I know, men who knew they could have done better but just didn't do what they knew to do. Now, when we come to this third chapter of Colossians, we find this passage which talks about how we can do our best all the time. And so with your Bible open to the third chapter of Colossians, beginning with verse 17, let me just tell you that beginning with verse 17, down through the first verse of chapter 4, there are three issues in these verses. First of all, there is a biblical exhortation. And we're going to be looking at that during these next few moments. Then there are some basic examples. I mean, he says, you want to do your best all the time? Let me just give you some examples of how this would work. If you're a wife or a husband, if you're a child or a father, if you're a servant, an employee, or a master, a supervisor, or boss, let me show you how you can do your best all the time. And then finally, he ends with these words of expectation. Here's what you can expect from God, who is the ultimate judge. And here are the promises God will make to you. And so with your Bible open to these passages, I want to make this first statement this morning and urge you to heed it. What is it? If you are to do your best all the time, you must respond to the biblical exhortation. Now, notice I didn't say review the biblical exhortation because that means you just look at it and acknowledge that it's there. I didn't say just receive the biblical expert, uh, exhortation because that means you say, well, yeah, that's for me. But I'm calling on you, whatever your age this morning, to respond to the biblical exhortation. Now, what is an exhortation? That's a long word which simply means Practical steps to changing your life. When you exhort someone, you are showing that person some practical steps, one, two, three, so that their life might be more fulfilling, their life might be changed. And so if we're going to listen to anybody, anyone's practical steps, we ought to listen to what God says. And this morning, I want to ask you to respond to the biblical exhortation. The Bible gives us some practical steps that will help us do our best all the time. Now, this exhortation is found, first of all, in verse 17, 
And then in verse 23, look at verse 17. Whatsoever you do, God cares how you behave. Every once in a while, someone comes to me and says, Brother Tom, you know, as we think about the deeper life and the spirit-filled life, it's not a matter of trying. It's, not a, it's a matter of trusting. It's not a matter of the works that we do. It's just a matter of the faith that we have. Well, let me just tell you something. I believe that. I believe it's important for us to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and that Christ lives his life through us. But on the other hand, let me tell you this. God cares how you behave. I chose the title of this message very carefully, how to do your best all the time. The Lord cares how you behave. He cares what you do. The truth of the matter is the evidence of your faith is your works. That's what James tells us. He says, you, you talk about faith, I will show you my faith by what I do. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say unto you. If you love me, keep or do my commandments. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father who sent me. Now, I'm not saying that you're saved by your works, but if you're saved, your works will give evidence of that, and the Lord cares how we behave. He cares whether you are doing your best all the time. And so in the Bible, there is an exhortation there are two verses which tell us how to do our best all the time. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Then look at verse 23, and you might want to draw a line between those two verses. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Now, this exhortation is fourfold. And I have found that if we are to respond to this biblical exhortation, it is helpful if we answer truthfully four questions which have to do with the four issues of this exhortation. And so, if you will, please, with your Bible open, let's, let's see what these four questions are. And we should ask these questions if we're to do our best all the time. Question number one, for what I am doing, do I have proper authority? Let me ask it again. Do I have the proper authority for doing what I'm doing? Now, let me show you where the Scripture talks about this. Whatsoever you do, it says in verse 17, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Now, would you just circle that little phrase, in the name of the Lord? What does that mean? Does that mean just tacking the name of Jesus onto what you do or what you pray? When the Bible says we are to pray in the name of the Lord, does that, does that mean that we need to do this? Father, uh, I ask for this and this and this, and I want to tell you this and this and this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying that, but that's not what it means to do something or to pray something in the name of the Lord. What does it mean to do something in the name of the Lord? Well, let me give you a very simple illustration, which I've used before, and I believe it will be helpful to you. Let's imagine that you're walking down the street and you pass by a bank and the doors of that bank fly open and out of that bank comes a man. <clears throat> He's wearing a mask. 
He's got a gun in one hand, and he's got a money bag in the other hand, and he starts running down the street. And you know what he's done. He's just gone there and robbed the bank. About that time, as you're just trying to take all this in, a police car comes screaming up, screeching with his brakes, siren going. Policemen jump out. They see the man. They take off down the street trying to catch this man. As they get close enough to, you know, just within shooting range, one of those officers plants his feet, takes out his service revolver, points it at that man, and he says, Stop in the name of the law. Now, immediately, if the guy is smart, he stops, drops his gun, and drops the money. Stop in the name of the law. Now, what gave that statement such power? Well, in the first place, that statement only works if that policeman is a citizen of the country whose laws he's enforcing. I mean, if he jumps out and speaks in French or Spanish or something like that, and he happens to be right here in the United States, you know, maybe speaks in, in uh, uh, Greek or something like that, and this guy just keeps on running. You, you see, it only works if the man who is enforcing the law is a person who is a citizen of the country whose laws he's enforcing. Now, in order for you to be praying or doing what you do in the name of Jesus, it means, first of all, I am a citizen of his kingdom. I know Christ Jesus as my Savior. But there's some other elements that need to be present. In the second place, this man not only must be a citizen, he must be a citizen in good standing. Now, the thief doesn't turn around and say to the policeman, no, in the name of the law, I command you to put down your guns and go back and get in the police car. Well, why can't he say that? Because while he may be a citizen of the United States, he is not a citizen in good standing. He is the offender in this case. And so for you to be uh, praying or doing what you do in the name of the uh, Lord means not only I am a citizen of his kingdom, it means I am a citizen in good standing with his kingdom. In other words, the Bible says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully. In other words, I'm an individual who is seeking the will of God for my life. Number three, in order for that policeman's statement in the name of the law to have impact, he needs to have been authorized. At some point, he went through the police academy. At some point, he was taught, when you see a bank robbery in progress, uh, you are authorized to go after the crook. You are authorized to use this weapon. You're authorized to perform this arrest. We are telling you that's the reason you're on the payroll here. We are giving you the authority to do that. Now, to pray in the name of the Lord or to do what you do in the name of the Lord means, A, I am a citizen of his kingdom. I'm truly born again. I'm a child of God. B, I am in good standing. I'm not a rebel out here saying, God, I'm going to live the way I want to, but I'm expecting you to bless me. I'm in good standing. I'm seeking the will of God for my life. Number three, I have been authorized. In other words, what I am doing here is within what the Bible says is the will of God for my life. See, there's some things you can't do in the name of the Lord. You can't rob a bank in the name of the Lord. You can't commit adultery in the name of the Lord. That's not the will. The Bible has said that's not his will for you. You cannot murder in the name of the Lord. The Bible says thou shalt not kill. 
It says thou shalt not steal. You see, there are a lot of things the Bible says we should not do. A lot of things the Bible says we should do. And so as I am performing whatever it is that I'm doing, I need to know not only am I a citizen of God's kingdom, a citizen in good standing, I need to know that what I am doing falls within the perimeters of God's will for me, my life. I'm not living in rebellion to him because I cannot ask God or expect God to bless what is rebellion to him. Number four, at some point along the way, that policeman has reached the conclusion that if he actually arrests this man and takes him down there and books him, that when he brings him before the judge, the judge is not going to smile at him and say, oh, you know, this officer was acting um, incorrectly. Why don't you go? As a matter of fact, what, what's causing great problems in our own nation right now is that the law enforcement agencies are losing their confidence in the judiciary. And so they're afraid, well, we go out here, we arrest somebody, we bring them in, it's going to be thrown out. Some little technicality, it's going to be thrown out. But for that policeman to really do his job effectively, he's got to have the confidence that if I arrest him, the judge is going to do what the book says the judge ought to do in regard to this crime. He's going to throw the book at him, in other words. He's going to do what the book says. Now, look up here. For me to be in the proper authority, in other words, I've got to be the right man. Maybe that's another way of saying it. If I am to do my best all the time, question number one that I ask is, do I have the proper authority for what I do? In order to have that, in other words, in order to do what I do in the name of the Lord, I must be A, a citizen of his kingdom, born again, B, a citizen in good standing, no rebellion in my heart, C, a citizen who has been authorized. In other words, what I'm doing is squarely within the perimeters of what God's Word says. I'm not living outside the principles of his Bible. And finally, I am confident that God will do what God says he will do in response to what he says ought to be my behavior. If I seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added to me. If I delight myself in the Lord, I'll dwell in the land, verily I'll be fed, in other words. And so I'm confident God is going to do what he says. I do my part, but I'm also confident God always does what God says he will do. So what's the first question that I ought to ask if I want to do my best all the time? Question number one, do I really have the proper authority for this? In other words, can I do this in the name of the Lord? Question number two, not only do I have the right authority for this, do I have the proper attitude while I am doing it? Notice what he says in verse 17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. If having the proper authority is being the right man, then having the proper attitude is having the right mind. I'm grateful to God for the opportunity to serve him. Do I have the right attitude? Now, not everything God wants us to do is on the surface something that is pleasing. Not everything that God wants us to walk through is on the surface something that is a pleasurable experience. But everything the Lord puts on our plate 
is something for which the Lord deserves our gratitude, no matter what we think about it. Now, let me give you an illustration. I have a friend and missionary, Wade Akins. Wade's spoken in this church, spoke in this church last year. As Wade spoke here, he said, pray for my wife, Sherry. Sherry was sitting right down here about three rows back. You remember that? And he said, Sherry is ill. Uh, if there's not some kind of cure, this is a life-threatening illness. And you know, back on uh, December, December the 4th, I believe it was, Wade came home, found his wife there in Brazil, found his wife on the floor having died of a massive heart attack, complications because of the illness that she had. Now, over the last several years, or several months, Wade has been walking through what some of you have experienced. He's been walking through days of grief and days of pain. He has good days and he has bad days. He said recently in a letter, he said, Tom, it's, it's like a hurricane. You know, the, the hurricane passes over you and it just really gets a hold of you. And he said, there are days of tremendous pain. And then he says, things sort of let up for a little bit. He said, but I know it's like the eye of the storm. I know it may be a, another day or another statement or it may be something that reminds me of Sherry. And he says, It'll, the hurricane will hit again. And he says, I'm going to tell you, and he said, I say this unashamedly. And he said this to me, not only in letter, but also on the phone. He said, I'm going to tell you, there are times when I go into the bedroom and I close the door and I lie down on the bed and I weep uncontrollably. He said, this, these are tough days that I'm walking through. These are tough days. But he said, there's an interesting thing that God has taught me. He said, a lot of my friends came to me and said, well, Lord, Wade, we're going to pray with you that God will take away the pain. And he said, I have learned that that is probably not the best prayer for me because he said, I have learned that in these moments of pain, I am discovering more about God than I ever discovered in my life before. And if God were to take away this pain, he said there would be things that I wouldn't know about the depths and the riches of God. I have discovered that he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we can comfort others also with the same comfort with which we're comforted of God. And so he says, rather than saying, God, take away my pain, I'm saying, God, thank you for this because this is one other opportunity for me to serve you, to know you, to learn about you. Now, what is he saying here? If you want to do your best, you not only must have the proper authority, I'm squarely within the will of God as a part, as a part of his family, but the proper attitude. That which I'm con confronted with here is something for which I need to thank God. It may not be pleasurable. It may not seem pleasing on the surface. Now, it may be. But I'm not only to express my gratitude for the things that are pleasing, I am to express my gratitude to God for everything He gives me. It is an opportunity for me to get off the bench and onto the playing field and exercise a stewardship over the opportunities which God has given me. So I thank God for this. You see a player sometime, he's sitting on the bench, and when the coach turns to him and says, you, on the field, you know what he has in his heart? He has gratitude. Oh, coach, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I get to go out there and do what I've been trained to do. And so if you want to do your best all the time, you not only must be authorized by God, in other words, I'm living within the principles of your will, but you must have the proper attitude. Not only the, must you be the right man, you must, 
You must have the right mind. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of serving you. And I want to tell you from personal experience that in my own life, the things that have been the most distressing to me, things from which I would have loved to have run and hidden, gone away, removed them from my sight, never dealt with them, those things which have hurt me the most kept on hurting until I saw what they were, which were opportunities for God to get glory and for me to grow. And it was not until I embraced those things and began thanking God for them that I began doing my best. And so if you want to do your best, you know, <clears throat> some of you all, you, uh, your marriages are a little rocky. And you have problems, maybe you've gotten a word from your marriage partner that something terrible has happened, very distressing. Maybe it's the kind of thing you just want to throw up your hands and walk out the door and say, look, if she's going to be that way, if he's going to be that way, you know, they can have the marriage. I want, I want to leave. But let me just tell you that that is an opportunity for you to be like Jesus to that person. And you ought to thank God for the opportunity. I didn't say thank God for the sin. I didn't say approve of the sin. But you ought to thank God for everything he brings in your life that gives you an opportunity to trust him and to become more like him. Because this life is so short and eternity is so long, but it's how we handle this life that has so much to do with the way we enjoy our eternity. Saved by works? No. But the Bible tells us that God, one of these days, will bring every believer before him. And the issue will not be salvation. The issue will be, what did you do with the opportunities I gave you? Did you reflect me? Did you respond as I would have responded to that person or to that, that event or that hurt? Or did you run from it? Did you close the door on it? Did you shun it? And so proper authority, proper attitude. Right man, right mind. Well, if proper authority is right man, if proper attitude is having the right mind, number three, do I have the proper approach? This has to do with the right manner. Do I have the proper approach? Look with me, if you will, please, in verse 23. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Heartily. Now, in order for you to understand this word, heartily, I need to tell you how it would, would read in the original language. There is a prefix, which means ek, which is ex or out of in the original language, the Greek language of the Scripture. And the other word is suke. We get our word psychology or soul. It refers to our innermost being. He says here, whatever you do, do it out of the heart. You know what you do best? You do best what you do with all your heart. You do best what your heart's in. And so what he's saying here, if you want to do your best, you've got to put your heart in it. What distinguishes a champion from an individual who's not a champion? What one thing distinguishes a champion? You say athletic ability. No, because there are champions who have not had as much athletic ability as somebody else on the field. You say, well, it's training. Well, no, there are champions who have not had the training that, that those who have lost have had. 
You say it's opportunity. Well, no, because there are champions who never had the opportunities that others had. You know what distinguishes a champion? One word, heart. Heart. When I was in high school, running cross country, there's a little guy that ran on our team by the name of Danny Longstreth. Danny Longstreth run every, won every race. My goal when I would run would be stay up with Danny and in the end try to beat him. It should have been easy. Danny Longstreth was not nearly as tall as I was, and his legs were, legs were not nearly as long as mine were. He had to take two steps for every step any of us took. And cross-country, man, that's up and downhill and through water and over concrete and in the dirt and tall grass and everything else. Cross-country, I mean, that's several miles, minimum of two. But you know what? Danny Longstreth had a heart. He didn't have the training. He didn't come from uh, the, the best part of town or the best family in town. He just had heart. He had heart. What is he saying here? He's saying, if you want to do the best all your life, what you do ought to be done out of the heart. Do it heartily. Somebody asked me uh, one time, they said, why, why do you... Uh, why are you a pastor? And it was a particular time when, you know, pastors were getting a bad rap, and I don't know, it might have been a time when it was difficult for me to be a pastor, and, and maybe it was a time when other things and being a pastor might have seemed more alluring. I don't remember exactly. They say, why, why are you a pastor? And, of course, the simple answer is to say, God called me. What keeps you pastoring? You know what? It's in my heart to do it. It's what I can do out of my heart. It's what I have a heart to do. Proper authority, God's call. But more than that, it's something I can do out of the heart. And so not only must you be the right man, God has authorized this. And have the right mind. I have the proper attitude. I'm grateful for this, but you have to have the, the right manner or approach, whatever you do, do it heartily. Have you ever seen people do stuff half-heartedly? I'd just assume people not show up to work who do half-hearted work. They might as well not be there. Their heart's not there. Their mind's not there. They're, they're just half-hearted. They just mess around. They draw a paycheck. You have them out where you are. They draw a paycheck. There's no loyalty, no sense of loyalty to anybody but themselves. They're just waiting so they can go do what they want to do. He says, if you want to do your best, do it out of the heart. Realize God has given you this opportunity. Do it from the heart. All right, question number four. What is number one? Do I have the proper authority? Number two, do I have the proper attitude? Number three, do I have the proper approach? Number four, am I seeking the proper approval or audience. Now, this has to do with the right motive, all right? Am I seeking the proper audience? Notice again verse 23. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Could I ask you a question? How much of what you do for the Lord would you do for the Lord if you knew that only the Lord would ever see you doing it. 
Is that a fair question? How much of what you do for the Lord would you actually do for the Lord if you knew that only the Lord would see you doing it? I've discovered that so many people do things because, you know, they're concerned about what other people think. Now, I think we have influence, and I think that we need to be conscious of our influence. But, you know, what I'm talking about here is something that gets down to your basic motivation. Why do you do what you do? Do you know what the most uh, simple and most surface-like motivation is? It's just reward and punishment. Why do you do what you do? Well, I do this because I get reward if I, if I do it. I don't do this because I get punished if I don't do it. It's just, you know, here's the candy, here's the slap. And so I've learned I like candy better than slaps, and so I do candy stuff rather than slap stuff, right? It's just reward and punishment. That's the most simple. That's where we all, most of us all start out, just reward and punishment. There's a deeper, deeper level that you can go in. You can go into doing what you do because others are watching. Well, I'm a father, and so I, I do these things not because it's in my heart to do them, but because I feel responsible for my children. Or I'm a Sunday school teacher, or I'm a member of First Southern, or I'm a pastor, and, and I, so I do this not because I want to do it, but because I sure wouldn't want to see anybody else to see me doing something different. Well, it's good to feel responsible for other people. You do have responsibility. The Bible tells us we ought not to offend other people, but that's still not the best level of motivation. If you want to get right down to, to the best level of motivation is I do what I do as a matter, as an issue between me and God, period. It doesn't make any difference whether I'm close to the church or a million miles away. It doesn't make any difference whether I'm at home with my family watching or off in some motel room and nobody watching. The point is the audience for what I do is God. God. See, he says as to the Lord and not to men. Think about how much of your life is steered by what other people think of you and what you want other people to think of you as opposed to how much of your life is steered solely because of what God wants from you. I, uh, I love to watch children in their relationship with their parents at certain ages let me give you an example. This is holiday time. Some of you all are traveling. Tomorrow, a lot of you will be around swimming pools. You'll be around the lake. You watch kids who are just learning how to really get with it in the water. You know, they've gone through the year where they were afraid of the water, you know, and didn't want to be splashed and didn't want it in their eyes. And, you know, and they, they've, they've moved beyond that, and they really have got where water, you know, they like water. And so they're learning how to do things. You know, maybe it's just to hold their nose and just stick their face under the water for a minute and come up, you know. I mean, maybe that's, a, that, maybe that's all they do, but then that's a big deal, see? Here's what you'll hear at pools all over the country tomorrow, at lakes all over the nation tomorrow. Here's what you'll hear. Daddy, Daddy, watch, 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 Daddy. No, Daddy, Daddy, over here, watch, watch, watch. And their dads will break their neck. Oh, okay, I'm going to, you know, isn't that great, Daddy? Yeah, yeah, Daddy, 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 watch, watch, watch. Daddy, Daddy, look at it, Daddy, Daddy. And this, this child in such beautiful simplicity will, will act and accomplish and do things that when they grow up, they never, oh, hey, well, I would go in, but I don't want anybody to see me. You know, I, you know they wouldn't do it. They won't learn things. Why? Because they, they are conscious of what they want to do something that pleases their dad. 
Look, Daddy, look, watch me do this, Daddy. Look what I can do, Daddy. And they end up learning more, accomplishing more, because they're only seeking one. They could care less what everybody else in the pool. In fact, some parents today will say to their kids in the pool, shh, 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 shh. Look at the people around here. But they don't care. They just want daddies. They want to know daddy's watching, dad's approval. Can you imagine how much more in your life you could accomplish if you cared most about the father's approval? More than you cared about anybody else's approval, more than you cared what anybody else thought, if you just did what you did as unto the Lord and not unto men. Early on in my life, I heard the story, true story, about a young man, violinist, who learned from the master. I mean, people were absolutely, uh, they were flabbergasted at how quickly he picked up this instrument. It wasn't very long before crowds of people gathered for his first concert. And there in that concert hall, he stepped on the stage, spotlight played down on him, the pianist and orchestra began playing, and he began to play that violin. And I mean, people were just, they were enraptured by the music. I mean, absolutely spellbound by the way he was playing. When it was all over the house, he just brought the house down. I mean, the people stood to their feet. They began to cheer. They began to stomp. They began to whistle. He went off, came back, went off, came back, you know, bowed, bowed again. And then he came out on the stage, and, and everyone noticed that no matter how much they cheered, he just kept looking way off up in the balcony of this concert hall. And he had a frown on his face, and he, he kept looking back there, and he, it was hard for him to see because of the spotlights. And he kept looking back there and looking back there. And finally, a smile broke out across his face, and he bowed one more time and walked off the stage. And so afterwards, a friend of his said, what in the world happened out there? You got out there, and all these people were cheering wildly, and they were, you know, just enthralled with what you were playing, and, and yet you had a frown on your face for a little while, and then, then a smile. He said, uh, well, he said, oh, were they cheering? He said, I, I didn't pay much attention to that. He said, well, what were you doing? He said, I was looking for the master violinist back there, and until I saw his nod of approval, I knew I would never be satisfied. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, not as unto men. This means you do your best work when people are present or when no one is present. You're just as meticulous. You're just as thorough. You're just as diligent. You're just as godly. You're just as virtuous when nobody is there as when God is there. Because really, you're living your life most of all for Him and not anybody else. If I want to do my best all the time, I need to respond to the Bible exhortation which says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord, giving thanks unto him. And whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not as unto men. Father in heaven, my prayer just this moment is that you would, you would cause people in this congregation to desire to rise above the levels of mediocrity which surround us. 
people who are just going slipshod through life, just barely making it, not really ever accomplishing any of those things that you would have for them, never scaling those great mountain peaks, never plumbing the deep depths of your word, never at all living their life to the maximum, to their greatest potential. Father, I pray this morning somehow you'd help us to see that nations are changed when people within their hearts say, wait a minute, I can't coast any longer. I need to be, I need to do the best I can with the rest of my life. Father, I pray somehow that message would grip the heart of each person here and change us this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. In a few moments, we're going to stand. In a few moments, the choir is going to begin leading us as they sing a hymn of invitation. And this will be your personal invitation to come to Christ. I believe there are people here who this morning, you may be a boy or girl, mom or dad, grandparent. You would say, you know, I'll never be the best and do the best because... I'm really not a part. I'm not the right man, not the right person. I'm really not a part of the family of God. And this morning, you want to know what it is to have all of your sins forgiven. You'd like to know what it is for Christ to come live within you and give you eternal life, which only he, as the Jesus who died for you and has risen from the grave, can do. And so this morning, you'd simply like to turn your life over to Christ as a boy or girl, mom or dad, young person, teenager, single person, married, and I want to encourage you when we stand in a few moments, if your heart's desire is to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, to know for sure that you go to heaven when you die, but know that life can be lived to its fullest here on this earth, I want to encourage you to step out of the aisle, make your way forward, find one of these counselors and just say something this simple, I want to trust Jesus this morning. 